Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For too long, I think from my 40s onwards, I was thinking at some point in my life, I would reach after a period of hard work and commitment and putting in the hard yards, I would reach this sunlit upland plain where I will just walk across it and sunlight and sky and clouds. And it was expecting and waiting for that moment where it's like life would just smooth out and everything, you know, I would have the capacity to solve problems and, you know, like do things easily without effort. And it was realising that that was just a myth. That was a great, you know, that moment of understanding where you go, ah, it's always going to be this rocky outcrops that I have to navigate every day. It's just that's the way life is. That is the publisher at HarperCollins Australia, Catherine Milne. And this is episode 258 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 258 of the show with publisher at HarperCollins Books Australia, Catherine Milne. More about Catherine in just a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm glad you're here. What is this show? This podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of. It's a conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Sometimes this conversation will be someone that you know. Sometimes it'll be with someone you don't know. But I guarantee, no matter what, today you're going to hear something you need to hear. You'll hear something in the next hour and a bit that will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's what I'm here to do. Who am I? I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host, podcaster, and author from Australia. Uh, I work on a show at the moment called The Bachelorette. Counting roses in very sharp suits, sometimes double-breasted. It's quite exciting. Uh, I've just written a book called Back After the Break, which you can get at osherginsberg.com. There's a live version of the book that I am touring at the moment. Um, By the time you hear this, I will have played a show in Sydney, which I'm going to say, even though it hasn't happened yet, was excellent, despite the fact that it hasn't happened yet. Um, so which like, oh, the show was great. There were laughs. There was tears. Uh, we all sung a big song at the end in a triumphant closing moment. Uh, truth be told, I'm a little worried about it. I've been battling a throat infection the last few weeks. My voice is pretty shot. Um, lucky Mike Mills is, uh, was there to do all the super high tricky harmonies. There are still a few tickets left to the second night in Melbourne. Uh, the first night, December 14th, completely sold out. Thank you so much for that. December 13th is when there's the second show 
in history, it'll be the first show, but it's the second show on sale. Uh, so thank you so much, Melbourne, for that. I certainly hope I can see you. Brisbane, we are on the way. We cannot quite flick the switch on the on-sale ticket website just yet, but the show is February the 8th. Tickets will go on sale very, very soon. I'll let you know as soon as I do. All shows are with Toe Hider, also known as Mike Mills, who does all the music for this show. All shows are meet and great. And books are on sale at all the gigs. You can get your tickets right now, osherginsberg.com. I really hope you can make it. It is extraordinary to have thought earlier in the year. In fact, it was when I was interviewing Michael Castle back in March, when uh, right when I was I just handed in the first draft of the book and um, I was editing the book. And I thought, you know what? I should make a live show out of this. I'm talking to, you know, Michael. He's this massive musical producer. I thought, yeah, I should make a show. I should do a live show with some singing and some storytelling. And um, one that would involve big screens and, and, and pyrotechnics cues. And, and turns out that's exactly what has manifested into reality. Well, except for the pyrotechnics cues. We couldn't afford fireworks. But it goes to show. Thoughts become things. Isn't that something? All I did was take a positive action in the direction of that thought and when I needed help with things that I didn't know how to do, I just enrolled others in the idea of what I'd hoped that thought could become. And soon enough, it starts to take form. Before you know it, we're sitting around a table with Zoe Norton Lodge and Rachel, my producer, we're writing a show. Then I'm emailing song ideas to Mike. Then I'm pulling the guitar out of the garage and learning how to play again. Then I'm learning how to sing again. Then we're rehearsing. And before you know it, we've sold out the theatre and the show's now a thing with a life of its own. That's extraordinary that was just a thought in my head but the same things happened so often in my life it happened um it happened with getting better when it comes to what was happening in my brain because when i was sick um i was waking up every day seriously facing the prospect of living the rest of my life spent drowning in anxiety just trying to live day to day just sputtering the seawater out of my mouth just trying to take the next breath just and then the next breath, and then the next breath. I didn't want to live like that. And I was faced with a really clear choice. And one of those choices was a permanent solution to that problem. But I had just met Audrey and Georgia, and I had started to see the possibility of what life could be like with them. That there was another choice, that there was a choice of a life filled with love and support and care and fun and joy and I just had to break apart the things in my brain that were preventing me from accessing that. And that is where the work began. I had a vision. I saw that my life could indeed be different, that the mental state I was waking up with every day didn't have to be the wake up that I would get every day. So I got about doing the best thing that I could and I tried to break apart the loops and the traps that I was stuck in. And that involved medication, involved a lot of work. And it started by taking just the tiniest possible steps towards that vision. It started by making more appointments to see my doctor, asking him what more we could do, going to see a second doctor for another opinion, taking the meds, doing the work, doing the homework they asked me to do, doing the heavy lifting with my psychologist, pushing into this comfort, being with the fear, even though it was frightening, exposing myself to the small triggers and holding strong in that fear until I got used to it. Then leveling up and exposing myself to bigger triggers, getting afraid again. All the while enrolling people to help me, people who knew how to do things that I didn't know, people who could show me the way towards healing. Just one step in the direction towards my want for a better life every hour, every day. And every step was frightening. 
but it was a little less frightening than the prospect of living life trapped in that swirling vortex of unstoppable fear, not able to take a full breath. Now, you know, I have come a long way. I still work at it every day. Some days I slip back down the hill a bit and I've got to struggle to get back to my feet again. Last week was tough. But I still take those steps every day. Even the tiny steps, it doesn't matter. But they take me further away from that place of pain where I felt there was no way out. And while it, it does sound like a lot of work, I've got to tell you, it's worth it. It's been worth pursuing my health with such a desire. That's the handy part, I guess, when it comes to obsessive compulsive disorder and compulsive brain that I've got. Because when my brain decides it has to do something, I, I can't rest until it's done. I learned that technique, actually. I learned it in sobriety from a super successful guy in the film industry that I met in Los Angeles. He used to say that his brain had this compulsion, this obsession, so he may as well use it to his advantage. And I'd never heard of the concept of using the thing that my brain does that has been previously to my detriment to use it for my benefit. But I guess he's right. It can come in handy sometimes. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you today just to remind you that whatever's going on, if parts of it suck... You can change that. Even just the tiniest part of it, just a tiptoe step at a time. As long as you just take the tiniest step in the direction of where healthy relief is and then take the same step tomorrow, you'll get there. You will. I promise you will. I wanted to say big thank you to everyone this week on the Facebook page. There's a a group, a Facebook group that has begun and it just, it warms my heart to see so many people supporting each other there. It's just really, really lovely, the conversations and the camaraderie and the support that's happening there. If you want to be a part of it, osha.is slash FB group is, is what's going on. It's, it's great to see the conversations that are starting and conversations that are being had there. It's really lovely. And thank you so much for sending me all, all your podsy pictures. Um, that's a weird word I know, but it's like selfie, but it's a pod. It's a picture that you take with the phone you're listening to this on of whatever it is you're looking at right now. I got photos this week of people in Canada, people on on boats in China, in Western China, um, photos of people walking the dog on the beach, um, people doing the dishes. It's just great. You can tag me on Instagram or you can just hit me on the email. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I would absolutely love to see them. So, so let me tell you about my guest today. Catherine Milne is the publisher at HarperCollins. Uh, They are the people that put my book out, and Catherine is the reason that I put the book out. Catherine is an extraordinary woman with a wonderful passion for her work and the written word. She's warm, kind, smart, and as you'll hear, speaks with a romantic glow in her heart about story and the power of story. Catherine has a tough job taking chumps like me who've never written more than 800 words at a time and turning them into authors. She and her team guided me through the process with, well, she was the lead of the point, and she guided me with a a kind but firm hand. She helped me through the hard parts and she taught me through what works and what doesn't. She let me call her late at night when I was worried about the things that I'd put down. I'd send a phone, I don't know if I want to put that in the book. She taught me through it and let me know it was going to be okay. The book that you read would not have been as powerful as it was if it weren't for Catherine Mill, who encouraged me to write as much as I did and as deeply as I did. Um, You might not have written a book. You might not ever write a book, and that's okay. But listening to this conversation with Catherine, I hope you'll understand a bit more about the kind of person that it takes 
to bring a book from a thought to a thing. She's a truly, truly wonderful woman, and I'm really grateful that you'll have a chance to meet her today. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Catherine Milne. So here we are. We are, what are we at? We are, what's the 6th, 4th, 5th of September mm-hmm. today. So we've been two weeks. Two weeks in two the market. Weeks. We've been in yeah. the market for two yes. weeks with the book. Yeah. And um, it's an extraordinary journey. <laughs> I think it's made not even a year since we signed the deal, is it? No, you wrote it incredibly quickly. And that is that either says something about the ridiculous schedules that we have in publishing and the fact that we wanted to publish around the time that The Bachelor came out, but it also says something about you were ready to tell the story, you know. So, yes, you wrote it incredibly fast, we published it, and it's out there in the world now. So, I mean, I think I have to say to you, how do you feel about that? I feel great. Mm. I feel really great. I was quite... There was trepidation the night before, always, as there always is. Always. Who doesn't feel nervous the yeah. night before their wedding? Who doesn't feel, you know, worried before the curtain opens? Mm. But uh, this is this is more. This is different to a wedding or a public event yeah. or even, even you know, like getting up in, in front of the Sydney Opera House in front of, you know, like a million, two million people, whatever it was. This is like undressing in front of <laughs> those two million people. This is about dissembling the public face yeah. in a way. And that's why, I mean, I just think memoir is the most intimate and exciting and terrifying genre that you can have because it is so honest. It feels, what feels mm. extraordinary, and someone asked me this the other day, is like it feels that once this kind of soaks in a bit, I get this sense, Catherine, mm. that that's when the real work can begin. Mm. Because now, yep, there it is. Mm. That's the statement. That's mm. the foundation mm. on which everything else that comes next will stand. Yeah. And that's really honestly what it feels yeah. like. And, and it, in a sense, it is like the vows that you make at your wedding. They are said in public and they are said in front of people and they are a statement of how you intend to go on. But then the real work of a marriage, as everyone knows, <laughs> comes in the months and years and decades after a wedding. Oh, and it's, yeah. yeah, it's day to day. Yeah. I, I can attest to this. Absolutely. You don't keep your men's health six pack <laughs> once you get it. <laughs> you've got to do it every day. And that's why you've got to have a great photograph, <laughs> right, that's on a magazine that you can remind that at one point in time, I looked like this. Uh, well, also, and I remember what it took to get there and yeah. I remember, okay, this is the level of mm-hmm. effort and commitment mm-hmm. and dedication mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. focus and, mm-hmm. you know, that is required to maintain yeah. that. And this yeah. is saying, like, oh, you know, you're, you're married, you're a parent, you know, it's work. Mm-hmm. This idea mm-hmm. that you walk down the aisle and then everything is all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's still, it's yeah. still everyday work. That's it's still right. everyday work. And you know what it's like when you have children is that you keep thinking <laughs> – Soon it will be fine. Soon everything will be okay. Soon all, you know, that there will we will enter a new stage and we will be, you know, wandering in the sunlit uplands and everything will be fine with my kids and it's never like that. Well, because that's your thinking. Yes, things will be okay with someone who's 12 years and 176 days old. Mm. And that may be the case because, yes, everything is now fine. However, now I've got someone who's 12 years and 185 days old. And And things have changed. Totally different nine (laughs) days later. So whatever was okay 10 days ago is now not okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Adaptability. 
Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, how long have you worked at HarperCollins in your current role? Uh, six years. Yeah? Six years now. And yep. what were you doing before that? I was with Allen and Unwin, also okay. a publishing house, um, and I worked for them for about nine years. And that's where I had my real education as a publisher. I went from reading unsolicited submissions, which was just as nightmarish as it sounds, to being a publishing assistant, to being an acting commissioning editor, to being a development editor. So I went like that. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm, okay. So it sounds to me already like publishing is much like radio or television in that there's probably in Australia, I don't know, 1,200 people that do it yeah. and we all just swap and change and move and kind of hustle oh, around yes. from yeah. place to place yeah. to yeah. place yeah. to place. Yeah. That's why you've got to be really nice to everyone in publishing because you're going to end up working with them sooner or later. I would say this is exactly the same <laughs> way in television and radio. Yeah. You can be a prick. Mm. And someone asked me about this yesterday. They, they were talking about this kind of, you know, the trope of the – the asshole TV presenter. I'm like, I don't think that exists in Australia. Like, you just can't afford to do yeah. it. You can't yeah. because once they will find you. Yeah, once word yeah. gets around, you just jobs will vanish because yeah. people are like, nah, yeah, yeah, nah yeah. I don't like working with him. Let's not get him. Yeah, and that's it. It's too small. The country is too small. But I wonder mm. if that's the same. Like any kind of industry that is specialised, whether it be I don't know the startup world or hydrodynamics, people who work in, in water management, and, I don't know, people who work in power, you know, mm -hmm. there must be like only a 1,000 or 1,500 people that work at the the, the, yeah. end, the business ends of those things. Yeah. You can't afford to throw your weight around and be an asshole. And also, you know, unlike the Hollywood um, portrayals of publishing, do you remember Sandra Bullock in The Proposal? Vaguely. It, it, just about every um, Hollywood portrayal of someone who works in publishing is a monster, you yeah. know, an ego on legs, you know, who takes phone calls when they're on a treadmill and, you know, rings up Oprah and demands interviews for their authors and things like that. And it just, that's not what we are. So the public perception of us or the, the cultural perception of us is a bit skewed because, yeah, we, I think everyone who works in publishing understands that you are not the main game here. It's always the authors. It's always the books. So you are always about servicing that story. Was books a thing for you early on? Always, always, always. Um, and I can't, I can't, some people remember when they started to read. I don't. I've, it's like I've always read. And books were always a huge comfort. I went to boarding school when I was at 11 years old and at this stage, I hadn't even read Jane Austen. You know, I'd not touched Pride or Prejudice. But I took an old penguin copy of my mother's. With the orange cover? With the orange cover. Because, because I kind of, it was, a, it was both a statement and it was a shield and it was a, um, an icon. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it was like even then I knew that that book was going to be important or books were important. That was the thing that I was going to take from home to boarding school. Very, very interesting, Jane Austen. She had a whole, uh, a, a really interesting understanding of game theory. <laughs> I've never heard that analysis before, but yes, she really absolutely. did. She thought she always thought a few steps ahead. I can't remember which book it was in, but there was one particular one where such and such said, like someone was going to go and visit. I don't know. Mr. Jenkins, I'm making up a name. I can't remember which character it was. And the unwed early 20s or late teens mm -hmm. daughter was going to go and visit him for tea. And she called the carriage. And the mum says, no, 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 no. 
ride. Yes, because, because it's, it's going, going to rain. rain. Yes. And that way you'll have to stay the night. Exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Famous and that, scene. For me, it's like, damn, Jane, you know what's up. <laughs> you know, you, your thinking moves ahead here. <laughs> That's you right. Know, it's, it's really interesting, yeah. kind of. Yeah. And he'll have no option but to offer you to stay the night. Yes. And then, my love, proposal, <laughs> spring wedding, <laughs> and a nice big house and ten thousand pounds a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and help who use the stairs that we never see. <laughs> the right. little Dantonian Abbey kind of yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah. I always yeah. loved that she was yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and loved that she wrote in that way. And and it isn't you know when you certainly when you talk about Jane Austen, you, that's for me that's the extraordinary power of of book, book, author, authoring, mm. writing. God, I can't talk. <laughs> authoring, authoring, authoring. That's another word that we can just make the, up. Um, that's the extraordinary power. It's like we're getting a, a just this, this glimpse into thought patterns and, and, and ways mm. of thinking mm. of mm. Uh, mm. a woman from, you know, essentially an underclass, if you're a woman in that mm. time of history, um, very much so an underclass, writing about, you know, the experience of women underneath the patriarchal, yeah you know, oppression it was because yeah. uh, you couldn't do anything by yourself. Um, I find that fascinating. Yeah. And that was about 150 years ago more. That's right. That's right. And, you know, these are not books about love necessarily. You could make just as strong an argument that Jane Austen's books are about power mm. and about the, you know, like the who has power. Yeah. What, what, what do you need to acquire power and influence? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's what, Everyone who's a reader understands that books can just take us into a place and a person and a mind that we had no idea about before. So it is about, you know, it is about empathy and imagination and all of those things. What did you do at boarding school once you finished that one? Did someone just like hand you Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale and then the doors I wish, floor? I wish. No, although I do remember... Um, I, I made friends with the librarian. Of yeah, course you do because you've got to know, you know, where your sort of like refuge is. Uh, and she gave me Jermaine Greer's um, The Female Eunuch, of course, which felt both, you know, like terribly subversive, like it bomb, you know, went off in my head. So, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, didn't, I don't remember much great fiction at the time, but I do remember the library being a source of sanctuary and I remember... Yeah, that old Penguin cover of the mm. female eunuch, if you can remember it. I heard yeah. that Morrissey, uh, the singer Morrissey, mm. the kind of – I've never gone into it. No, nah, Because like, it was all too wet for me. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. bear it. And dull and British yeah. and glum. Don't you, why don't you love me? <laughs> anyway, a lot of people really love him and love the Smiths and good for them. I'm grateful for mm. them and good they have a favourite band. Um, I heard that when he did his memoir uh, with Penguin, he said, I will not – publish unless you publish me in the orange cover they're like that's only classics moz he's like don't care <laughs> don't care you publish me in the orange yeah, cover or you right. don't get the book that's right yeah yeah so, I, but they're iconic aren't they <laughs> i remember when i went for my first job in publishing at penguin books in ringwood and it was like you know at that point i was living in north fitzroy i never went further than three suburbs beyond the city um and going for this job at Penguin Books required me to catch a bus and then catch a train and then catch another bus and then walk. They were out at Ringwood at that point and it was just like, it felt like the moon. It felt like I was travelling to the moon. I was so uncomfortable. And I went out there and I saw, I walked into the, it was this horrible 
late sort of early 70s building, brown, brick, low slung, ugly. And I'd already been like traumatised by this fucking long journey. That's all right. It was um, really like. And then I walked inside and I saw all of those orange spines yeah. and I just thought, here, here it is, home. They're just iconic. They were an Australian uh, invention, I believe, the orange covers. Were they? Yeah, I believe so. Were they? I believe so. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a way of, of reprinting in, you know, without the cover art in a cheap mm. way. Yeah, yeah. To reprint these these classics. It's Did not know that. Well, yeah. there you go. The things you find out <laughs> when you're doing book signings. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The things you find out. Yes. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time in bookstores book lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm lucky if I yeah. if I get out with only a couple because you can't. I can't. I'm you, terrible yeah. in bookshops. I'm Hang like on. stationery stores. I'm like, yeah. if I don't leave a stationery shop with a mechanical pencil, something's wrong. <laughs> I can't do it. I know. It's just yeah. 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 You are someone who, and I'm. You know, I, what I really would love to talk to you about today is that just what was so important about your role in getting this book mm-hmm. out for me, and that was just guiding me through this. The number one thing when I say I wrote a book, they're like, oh, my God, how, it is a gargantuan mm. effort for most people mm, to mm, conceive. Mm, 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 mm. And yet, and not everyone who's listening is going to write a book, but everyone mm. who's listening has got a thing mm. that it seems so big they can't even yeah. start it. Yeah. All right? So what have you – I'd love to talk to you about that. What have you learned about helping people just approach this monster task, mm. which I know now isn't really that frightening, but – yeah. If you've never done you've it. You've done it now. If you've never yeah. done it, it's I can't I can't write a book. Yeah. I can't write 140. You asked me yeah. for 90,000, I gave and you And you gave uh, 120? 148. 148. <laughs> I gave you 148. 151 I think. 150 And then we whittled that back down to You got you got it back down in 103 and I got it back to 112. Yeah. And that's what we okay. went with. Yeah. yeah, I love that horse trading that goes on. Well, it's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important. So, how do you even when you first have a conversation, say, for example, with a first-time author, it's mm. going to be terrifying. Yeah. How do you even yeah, begin yeah. that? I suppose the first thing is because it is such a, a big job and with fiction it's different. With fiction generally people have already got the manuscript. You know, they've already worked on the manuscript for several years. So with fiction we generally acquire on a full manuscript. But non-fiction, it's like your case. You, you, you've got a story to tell you've put together like a two-page proposal and then we generally have a meeting. And at that first meeting, you kind of know or you suss out if the person's got a burning desire to tell their story. And you can generally tell when people are not going to deliver, do you know, because they just don't give off that kind of certainty and that energy and you need some of that kind of righteous energy and drive to, to sit down and do the work because it is hard, it's difficult. No one can do it for you unless, of course, you get a ghostwriter and then it becomes a whole different thing altogether. And then what generally happens is that they start and they send me a piece of writing to read and then we work out if they're going in the right general direction. And I think it is interesting that most people and most stories, the form of it just emerges naturally. You cannot help. It's in the same way that that you cannot really control the way you write. Your writing style just emerges naturally. If you try and write in a different way, um, then the writing becomes stiff and awkward. 
So in the same way you can't really control your writing style, you can't really control the way the story wants to be told. And very often, you know, that first bit of writing, the shape emerges. Is it going to be a chrono chronological story that starts point A and goes to point Z? Is it going to be episodic and we will just kind of put together a patchwork of kind of connected essays and then try and find the, the structure or the spine of it somewhere along the way or the thread that weaves in and out. So it kind of emerges, but there is there is a beautiful writing book. I don't know if you read Anne Lamott, who's this American author, um, and she wrote a beautiful book about writing called Bird by Bird. And th the title takes its um, name from when she was young and she was with her parents and her, her brother, her younger brother, had to do a project over the long US summer holidays where he had to do this big project about the birds of America. And of course, being a young boy, he'd left it until literally the night before school starts to start the project. You know, well done. Man after my own heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he was, you know, terrified and weeping and talking to his father and Anne was listening and her father said something like, you know, son, you just have got to start and just take it bird by bird. And that's basically what Anne says. In the writing, you just have to say, okay, if, if the, the, the thing is too big, I will just chunk it down. I'll just start here and tell this little story. And it's in the writing, it's actually in the writing process that things, kind of magic things, osmosis, something happens, it's a magical process between brain and fingers on keyboard where the story just emerges and tells itself. Did you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, um, I sat down with, um, it was actually, we'd, we'd already signed the deal and I'd, I'd written the proposal as you described um, already and that was what I gave to you and I was, I think maybe I had 15 chapter headings and maybe three or four lines on each one and I sat down with Benjamin Law and I was struck mm -hmm. with paralysis mm -hmm. when I interviewed Benjamin. I said, he said, I'm so excited you're writing a book. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do. You write, tell me. And Ben explained in the most wonderful way he's basically said so you got 15 chapter headings i said yeah he goes all right so what are five things you want to hit in each chapter all right great now you've got five 75 mm. lines okay mm. so write mm. a line on each one all right mm. and then write five ways you can get from this one to the next one and so now you've got what so it's 350 something mm. lines mm. okay he goes now you just fill in the blanks <laughs> like, okay. easy and that is exactly, honestly, Catherine, that mm, is exactly mm, the document mm, that I worked mm, off. Mm. Like I would hit the return key and the enter key and I would then roll down the document and go, oh, okay, so that's what I'm getting, I'm getting to there. Mm. Okay, so it was almost like if I was on stepping stones. Mm. It's like, okay, I've got to get to this point because the arc within, because the, the arcs are already built in then. Mm. The tension and release yep. is already built yep. in. Yep. So it's like, how can I get to this next part? How can I... Mm. You know, and then you go back and you go, how can I put a little more tension at the start of mm, that to mm, make the result resolution mm, um, mm. by the time I get to the fifth point yeah. more satisfying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, then then in the editing process yeah. you go back and, and yeah. throw it in there, yeah. and and yeah, that's that, that's what I did. What do you tell your authors about? I mean, I know we've done exactly mm. what you described. Mm. I sent you 
a bunch of different types. I sent you mm. one really long essay I wrote about music. Yes. It was about 7,000 yeah. words. I smashed yeah. it out in a yeah. day. I'm like, do we want to do this? Yeah. And he went, yeah, nah. I don't think that's what we want to do. Yeah. So that still exists somewhere. Um, and I think that, you know, if you do another book, then you do yeah. like subjects or that's how you would structure right. a second book. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah, good to know. I have an idea for a second yeah, book. Great. We'll talk about that later. The the frightening thing for me mm. though, Catherine, was when I did start sending you writing mm. and I just went, I'm just going to write. I'm just going to, this is it. This is as raw as I can go. Here we go. And it was terrifying. You sent me like a two-line email and went, perfect, more of that. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, it's like, you know when someone has reached in and and dug out the kind of the ugly, hard, shameful, vulnerable bits of themselves. Mm. That's when the writing is true. That went. That's when it rings true, and you read it and you are transfixed and compelled. Boom! You 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 found it. You found you found the thing that will resonate with others, and that, oddly enough, or ironically enough, is the deeply, deeply personal stuff. And that's the thing. Obviously, as as a publisher, it's it's a business. We're not here for mm -hmm. charity. You're mm -hmm. here to sell books. You're mm -hmm. here to. Uh, what is it that sells books, particularly memoirs? Memoirs, honesty. You know, it is absolute honesty. But it also is trends in memoirs come and go. Do you remember there was maybe a time about I don't know twenty years ago where it was the big celebrity memoirs, which were generally you know about. Um, uh, look how great my life is. You know, look how I have overcome this early obstacle and look how now rosy and, you know, everything is good. Um, and I feel like in the last, I don't know, I, I could be wrong, but the last sort of eight years, we've entered a new time of real honesty where people... We hunger for that kind of authentic connection with others to understand that everyone is struggling in the way that we are struggling, that we are not reaching out for those aspirational memoirs about, you know, finding a new home in Tuscany and building a beautiful, perfect life for ourselves that happens to involve a beautiful man and, oh my God, the vineyards and the food. Remember that time when it was all about making a new life for yourself? overseas in this perfect sort of aspirational setting. It's like we just moved beyond that. Now we're just going, just like show me the truth because I'm not getting this. I am not, I am not perfect. I'm struggling. I'm flawed. I feel like I'm failing. And that drove its, the books came as a result of people wanting more and I remember when I published uh, Rosie Waterland's The Anti-Cool Girl, which I feel was just such a watershed for, I call it extreme honesty. She bears it all, literally and figuratively, and it's powerful because of that. And same with you as well. There is the sense that if I tell people what really happened, there are people will respond to that and people out there feel the same way, have gone through similar experiences. And so they want to know, what did it feel like? What did you do next? How did you respond? 
what were what were the impacts? What sort of spooled out from there from you? And what is the work that still needs to be done? Do you think that this kind of writing, this style of writing and the, the success of mm. these books from this space, not a yearning to say, oh, look at us, we're all broken, or mm. is it more a space of, oh, thank goodness I'm not alone? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because I've definitely found that in there. Mm. And I know that, and this is actually something that Rosie warned me about. Mm. <laughs> she just basically, she caught me after I did a story club at Giant Dwarf uh, a couple of months ago. And she goes, oh, you're writing a book? And she said, I said, yeah, she goes, people are going to disclose to you left and right. Yes. Get ready. Yeah. Get yeah. Ready. And it's, it, and it is, that is an inevitable part of what has happened and they feel like they have a real connection. Mm. They feel that they can and, and you need to brace for it. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. it's coming. Um, in the same way that um, one of my fiction authors wrote, uh, uh, Holly Ringland wrote The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, which is a novel which is rooted in her own experience of family violence. And similarly, she had people in tears at, you know, readings and book events and people coming up to her to talk, to share. Um, and so, yeah, it can happen across fiction and nonfiction. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you, how are you coping with My that? My formula is, is uh, validate and redirect mm. because I am not a psychologist. Yes. I am not a trauma therapist. Yeah. I yeah. am not the person mm. to offer you any mm. advice mm. whatsoever. Mm. I can see you. I can hear mm. you. Mm. I can empathize mm. as much as I can. Mm. And I can say, I'm really sorry that happened. And mm. I do. I genuinely, mm. genuinely, genuinely am. And yeah. then out of care, I'm like... Are you? Say, I always ask. Are you getting help? Mm. Ah, yes. Lifeline. Yes. Or yeah. See your doctor. Yeah. Or because that's the next. Mm. While you have this opportunity mm. of, oh, I've never told anybody this. Yeah. Oh, then you have an opportunity to not live with this pain anymore. Yeah. Can't. But I can't fix yeah. it. Yeah. 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 You have to take. That's you right. have to walk through the door. But it just makes all of your interactions just so much longer with readers and with fans because, I, you know, after your launch show at Giant, Giant Dwarf, Dwarf, the, other night, yeah. the, the queue <laughs> was – it took – it was almost as long. Yeah. It, the show took, what, an hour and a half? Yeah. The signing queue took, I think, almost two hours yeah, it was because of those interactions that you need to have and you have to have. I'm and grateful for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm grateful yeah. for it because, yeah – that's 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 I mm. I remember waiting in line to, mm. to have mm. that moment with mm. somebody, mm. and I'm blessed that, mm. that 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 happened. You uh, live a life. I I was, you know, people think you write a book, you hand it in, it's done. It's, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was maybe seven deadlines or eight <laughs> eight deadlines yeah. that in, in, involved. It was the first manuscript deadline then there was the structural structural edit then the copy edit then the proofread and then all of those myriad other small there was like four three or four different Mm, ones around mm, all the pictures mm, as well yes 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 so but it was a deadline deadline after deadline after deadline after deadline i'm one author Mm. how many do you have going at a time oh probably well a 30 30 live books going at a time. So how, it takes it takes a village to make a book. How do you, <laughs> Catherine Mill, how do you deal 
with living a life of extraordinary pressure under all these deadlines. You work as a team. You have to keep reminding yourself that people will not die. This is not surgery or, you know, this is not a war zone. People are not going to die if this deadline is not met. A book is just going to be late. But, yeah, there, there are a lot of deadlines. There is a lot of work. And there's a lot of people involved. And like with you, your book is this precious thing. It's not a thingamajig it's not, a, it's not a widget. It's not a widget on a, an assembly line. No. So every book is different and requires different things. Every author is different and requires, you know, different, you know, levels of, of care. And you've got to balance all of that. So sometimes you just keep scrambling. I go for the whole swan thing, serene on the surface and then underneath paddling like hell. Yeah, because it just doesn't ever stop. Is that, is that sustainable? No! No, I think my husband and my children will tell you it's not sustainable. But um, there is... I love this work. I love this work. And I am fortunate to have work that I love and that I feel is important and that I feel is... Um, you know, it just... It makes a contribution. So, I, you know, it's like... Yeah, if I if I complain, it's like part of me just says, "Oh, just get over yourself." <laughs> <laughs> when you are, I mean, obviously, if you're if you're writing, you know, I'm guessing between the thirty live books, how many mm. of them are, are kind of in the kind of non-fictiony memoir, mm. personal mm. story versus mm. fiction? Um, I do probably more fiction now okay. than non-fiction, so maybe it's about you know ten as opposed to 20. Okay. Do you, do you, that sort of, you know. Okay. Uh, but still, every, every one of these stories is very personal and there's mm, a lot of emotion mm, involved. Mm, if if mm, you're dealing with an author, that is basically there's an open channel mm. to their yeah, you've, why, basically, yeah, yeah. their yes, reason. Yes, right? This is, because as you mentioned. Good description. Well, yeah. as you mentioned, you know, and I, it's just a flashback for a second there. Mm. I can only imagine what it's like to sit across from a particularly ruthless talent manager mm. who's got a meeting with you with their talent who couldn't really care, but it's that time, the spotlight's on them, it's mm. book time, mm. all right, I guess I am, mm. versus, Catherine, I will explode if I don't write this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of fortunate in that way that you can pick and choose your projects. Yeah. And... I'm not interested in, you know, like an end of career memoir. It just doesn't interest me, and I don't think I'd be very good publishing them. Do you know? I, it, it like there. Are, you've been to like Kinakunya or Abbey's or Glee Books. You walk in there, and there are so many books. So there is no point in adding a book that is not. No. purposeful, that is not meaningful, that does not contribute in some ways to our sum total of human knowledge. It's like, how I, there are some people I don't care about and I don't care about their books. I care about important stories. Would you cut down a tree for this? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Would yeah, you walk yeah. out in the woods? that in the mind. Would you walk out in the yeah, woods yeah. with a chainsaw, yeah. cut down a tree, yeah. cut it into pieces, put yes. it on the back of a lorry, yeah. take yeah. it to the paper mill, boil it up, pulp it up, press it out, and then run it into the printing press? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it worth cutting? Yeah. Or is Just it so that someone can buy it for their dad on Father's Day and go and he looks at it and he puts it aside and then shortly it gets pulped after that. You know, it's just like, you know, anyway, it's just why. Why would you do that? My time is too short. Your time is too short. 
boy. Mm. I'm just thinking of mm. all the trees in the woods that are just breathing sighs of relief. Whew, <laughs> another year. <laughs> all right. <laughs> because, I mean, but there must be, even for you, this moment where you go, who am I to tell my story? Yeah. Mm. Oh, I believe we had... I, a number of conversations yeah, around Yeah, especially if we, if we were to look through my phone history mm. of your phone number, there mm. were a number of phone mm. calls that occurred at 10 at night, 11 at night, and you were so kind to take mm. my call at that time of day because it really was. It was mm. like, oh, I don't... You know, you have yeah. that... I'm sure it's like the stages of grief with mm. everyone or author. You're like, yes. I'm so excited to tell the yes. story. I'm oh, not. my God, why am I telling the story? I should not tell the story. Yeah, who so, am but, I to tell this story? Then, How dare yeah, I think yeah, I should tell yeah, this yeah. story? But then what is that little turning point, you know, along the seven stages yeah. of denial, yeah. of author denial? What is the little turning point or what was it for you that made you go, no, yes, I will tell this story? Um, it was, think it was listening to you who has published so many other authors telling me, no, what you're writing is really important. Mm and it will help a lot of people, mm, mm. you need to write it. Mm. So, yes, the the noise in my mm. head was trying very hard to tell mm. me that I wasn't mm. worth it mm. and very hard to go, who are you, you mm. fucker? Mm. Shut the laptop. You got nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? And me going, actually, this is a woman who's worked very hard to be where she is, is at the top of a game, has published many people, and she's telling me mm. that I should and mm. that it's worth it. Mm. Maybe I'll listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of that little critical monkey that's sitting little. on your shoulder. <laughs> it was a really big orangutan yeah, yeah, sitting yeah, on your shoulder. Noisy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was that. Yeah. It was and but that's where all of the transformative things in my life have happened is when mm. I've gone, there's that voice in my head that's telling me no. I'm like, okay, mm. I appreciate that. I'm just gonna let you sit at the end of the table and be mm. noisy for a mm. while. Mm. Yet this person who's clearly legitimate and justified and smart and knows what they're talking about is telling me it's okay. Yeah. So while that is very noisy, I'm going to listen to them because mm. that is mm. not going to get me anyway. That stops me in my tracks. That yeah. doesn't move me from where I am. Yeah. Do I want to stay in a place where I'm never allowed to do something like this? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what it was. Yeah. And also surely too, I mean, I always knew that the book was going to be important and it was going to have, it was going to play a role in the public conversation that we need to have around mental health. But the one of the joys for me and was was just how well you write you know because there's such a lovely humor there and this sort of beautiful self-deprecation and the and even the way you structured it with the footnotes there's it's just you know how to write so there must have been a moment too where you go this is joyful this process oh yeah yeah i love the it. actual process of writing because yeah, you're good at it. Well, I, Catherine, I treat- And you may not have realised you were good at it before you started it. I had a clue. I had a clue because yeah. of the success I'd had with Story Club. But then ah, again, that yes, wasn't yes, an accident. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I knew that I wanted to tell stories. Mm, when mm, I was living mm. in Los Angeles, I took storytelling classes. And there I are studied. storytelling classes? Yes, I studied storytelling, That's live storytelling. Beautiful. I studied live storytelling with only, an incredible- Only in America. An incredible woman by the name of Margot Lightman, who mm. has won not only- the price is right, but also let's make a deal. She's uh, <laughs> an extraordinary, extraordinary lady. I think she's six foot th- four or five. Yeah, yeah. She's a an Amazon of storytelling. Yes, and she she, she wrote a book called Gorky. Mm. Um, and yeah, she's a she's an um, 
someone uh, it was at UCB that I did the storytelling classes and I worked with her for a long time and I learned oh okay because mm. I wanted to be better at radio mm. so basically yes. yeah. I wanted to be better yeah. at radio I'm like where yeah, am I yeah. lacking I'm lacking in my storytelling yeah. I need okay I've got to yeah. learn how to do that because yeah. yeah. it's like anything you don't accidentally learn stuff mm. you go out and mm. deliberately skill up mm. Mm. and so it was uh, so it was a process I worked with Margot and then Margot was very very helpful with me and then she was really really good and then when the story club stuff came along, I was like, okay, well, I've got this skill. Mm. I'm right here. Mm. So I had some success in, in writing for story club, but I did take enormous joy in, I was doing it about when I wrote it, I, I kind of had it in an interesting process. I really enjoyed the process because mm. um, that's the other thing Ben Law said. He goes, it's a job. You've taken money from these people. You owe them work. work. He's a good man. He is. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. This is, this is a gig. It's, yeah. you know, yeah, yes, yeah. I don't have a physical place. I can write wherever. Mm. Most of it was written in uh, Bure number 10. Yes, at, um, yes, I remember. Fiji. Yes. <laughs> in Fiji while I was sitting on Bachelor in Paradise set. Well, at least the first draft. And I approached it with like a 45 to 50 minutes on. At first it was 25 minutes on, mm. five minutes mm. off because mm. that's mm. all I could do. Yeah. I was like, I, I just, what's the smallest possible amount of writing that I mm. can do mm. that isn't so overwhelming? Yes, mm. I've got this initial 90,000 word target. Bird by bird, um, mm. I can write for twenty five minutes. Mm. I write for twenty five minutes, yeah. and I'll take five minutes off. Yeah, and then, and then slowly that became forty up to forty five, yeah. then up to fifty five. Yeah, and like, then you hit that flow. Yeah, yeah, and I would, <clears throat> it would go by in a blink. <clears throat> but then I found Catherine that I got about four hours, and then my <clears throat> brain just just started yeah. to become porridge. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah it's yeah. not worth it now. Yeah, okay, I'll stop. Yeah, but I I I'd kind of get to a point where I was doing about anywhere between three to five thousand a day, mm. which was Felt really good. Did you ever think about the ultimate reader when you were writing? Did you have like a, an ideal reader in your head or did you not think about what a reader? What I wrote to, to be honest, what I wrote to was how what will be the most fun hmm. thing to say when I'm reading the audiobook. That's what I wrote to. I because, love it. Well, because I know that yeah, I'm, yeah. that's where my main yeah. mode of communication is, is yeah. verbally. Yeah. All right? I, I talk mm, for a mm, living. Mm. All right. So I knew what's well, going to be the most fun thing to read mm. when I'm mm. doing the audio book. Mm. How can I mm. speak this mm. in a way? Because yeah. that's what yeah. all the stuff I've been writing have been for live storytelling. Yeah. So that's kind of what I wrote to, mm. to that. Mm. But I did, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of research. I listened to and I read... Eddie Izzard's book, I read Kevin Hart's mm, book and I mm. read Clementine Ford's book mm, mm, right mm, after we mm, signed the deal. I'm like, mm. okay, well, what are three people, who's three people that I really want to tell a story like? Mm. Okay, these three people. Okay, oh, I like that. And I took something from each, each of those. Of them, yeah. yeah, yeah. As well, I was very influenced by uh, David Hunt who wrote Gerd. He's <laughs> an incredible guy. <laughs> It's very, very funny, very, funny yeah, yeah. very smart man. He knows that you can do a lot with humor. Yeah, yeah very, very yeah, yeah, smart yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. I, and it was in using, trying as hard as I could to emulate, you know, here's something really difficult to talk about. But mm. he had a very, he has a very good way of, of doing that. But yeah, I guess that was, that, that was it. Tell me through your day, I mean, obviously you, you get angsty phone calls from authors mm. every single day. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you stay in a space of strength that you can be there for them? Oh, look. Oh, God. Um, I'm not sure. These are questions that are sort of emerging for me now, and I don't know if I have answers for them. You just have to... Res it's like someone needs you, you respond. What I need, what I understand, you know, finally after 50-something years of living in this world, I finally understand that 
in order to be the kind of extrovert that I am required to be at work, I need time by myself. And so I suppose that is the thing is that I can be an advocate for my books and authors and a passionate sort of, you know, campaigner and seller and, you know, all of those things to talk about the books in the world and to talk one-on-one with my authors. But I need time away from everything, my family, my friends, my work, and I just need to um, sit in a quiet room with a book, preferably, um, and not actually interact with anyone. So that is the thing that gets me through those periods where you're just constantly being asked for something. You do that every day? No, no. It's weekends. Weekends. Yeah. My weekends, if I, if I have nothing on a weekend, I am happy. How do you, as, you know, as, as a mother, as, you know, as a wife, as, how do you communicate that to the people you live in a house with? Oh, that's always tricky. Yeah. <laughs> that's always tricky because they need me mm. as much as anything else. I'm lucky that my partner w- works away from Sydney. Um, so he's often not there, which is great, which is good for me. Uh, it works for me. And um, my kids are older now and they have their own things. So it's not as difficult as it would have been like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, so I'm lucky it's just that it's this really busy time of my life is happening at a time when I have fewer family responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. But even so, I, I hope I get the priorities right. I'm sure I don't always, but yeah, generally. I don't think anybody has any close, <laughs> any close to perfection. Yeah. We're just scrambling, you really, wanna, aren't we? Yeah. You kind of want to. It's like when you, I don't know, you drive from here to your poon. You vaguely know you're going north, all right? <laughs> yes, that's right. You go, okay, just keep the ocean on the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then when we get to Rocky, we turn right. Mm, okay, mm, that's mm, pretty mm. much what we're going to do yeah. here. And all if right? you go into the waves, you know that you've you're strayed too far. too far. If you get wet, you've gone yeah. too far. Right, sorry, all right, sorry. yeah, it's, it's, it's like, okay, well, I know I've kind of, yeah, I've got to keep in this lane. Mm. I don't drive on that mm. side of the road. Mm. Oh, there's roadworks. Mm. Okay, as long as I keep in this direction, yeah. we'll be all generally yeah. okay. And I think this is the other thing that I have learned is that, You know, for too long, I think from my 40s onwards, I was thinking, and I used this phrase before, but it's one that sticks in my head, that there, at some point in my life, I would reach after a period of hard work and commitment and putting in the hard yards, I would reach this sunlit upland plain, you know, that, you know... what is it, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you know, Rocky Road, and then, oh, it opens up into this beautiful green plain, a meadow, where I will just walk across it, and sunlight and sky and clouds. And it was expecting and waiting for that moment where it's like life would just smooth out and everything, you know, I would have the capacity to solve problems and, you know, like do things easily without, you know, without effort. And it was realising that that was just a myth. That was a great, you know, that moment of understanding where you go, ah, it's always going to be this rocky outcrops that I have to navigate every day. It's just that's the way life is. We can't have the dream of the sunlit uplands, you know, it's just, it's a myth, it's not going to happen. 
That Sorry, is, did that sound really bleak? It's no, not meant to sound bleak at all. No, in the same way as what we spoke about mm. earlier, as you said, you know, you just want to have this opportunity to go, I don't know, it's okay, yeah, it's hard and we're all here. Mm. Mm. That's mm. exactly what you're mm. saying. Mm. We all, I think, have this, maybe it was through those biographies we spoke of mm. earlier or through our exposure to popular culture where there's always a happy ending and everything's yes. always awesome and you're expecting that one day it's just going to be easy. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. This is life. Mm, mm, and mm. the extraordinary, I mean, personally, Catherine, do I want to wander across a meadow and go, <laughs> ah, no more challenges? <laughs> That's right. I will just watch the flight of this bird. Yeah, like, maybe. <laughs> but I would get bored. Yeah. And <laughs> where is the personal growth? Yeah. I yes. enjoy yeah. evolving yeah. as a human. Mm, I enjoy mm. evolving as a person. I enjoy mm. trying to get mm. closer to mm. what was my original authentic self before I got in the way and started to fuck everything up with my ideas, basically. I was born to be a certain way and then Mm. I got in and thought I had a better idea Mm. and started to try and, you know, Mm. circumvent the the plan, Mm. all right? But no, just get out of the way. Just, Mm. you know, if, if I don't have those... Those those rocks. If I don't have those those rivers to ford, if mm. I don't you know yeah. have those people to deal with along the mm. way, mm. then I don't grow. Exactly, and that's the thing in the end that made me come today and not ring you and say I was sick, <laughs> which was that I thought this scares me. Okay, do the things that you're scared of, because that's the way you. <laughs> You get better at things that scare you and you learn a bit about yourself and you learn about the world. So, it's you know, it's not rocket science, I know, but it's when you get that personal light bulb going off in your head yeah. and you go, ah, this is life. Okay. All right. And that's one of the great benefits of actually, you know, getting to this age is going, ah, oh, I understand now. That, you know, it's just that perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but I, I wish I was. I wish I knew that yeah. when I was in my twenties. Yes. Yeah, I wish I knew yeah. that. No, there's no. And the thing is, that's that's the 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 wonderful, exasperating, glorious thing about young people. And sorry, I sound so pompous and patronising talking about young people. Sorry, right, you've got some. You, you can talk yeah, to them. It's fine. You just adore their kind of. They have no perspective. Everything is immediate. Everything has to be done now. They're glorious and gorgeous and ambitious and idealistic and they can change the world, you know, whereas, yeah, I'm past that age now. I don't, I'm not that, but I've got something else. You can be there for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can can publish books that will perhaps help them see. In the future when they're ready to read them. This idea of the the verdant meadow of peace and calm. No. There's no such place, really. But it's no fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to be in a relationship that doesn't challenge you? No one. Yeah. I want to be in a relationship with someone. I went like this morning. My wife called bullshit on me like five times before I got here. And it was great. Five times? At least. Yeah, yeah, and it was great yeah. because otherwise, Catherine, I'm stuck in my yeah. patterns of behaviour and who wants to live the rest of their life exactly the same? Mm. No, nobody. Mm. Yeah. I will always want to be, oh, I get to be, a di- yeah. I'm a different man today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And that's right and good and proper. Yes. Yeah. And that's it's a good mm. thing. Mm. It's a good mm. thing. Mm. I was challenged greatly mm. uh, in the last 24 hours and, you know, I... I there's things that I need to do around that. There's people I need to reach out mm, for mm, and there's, mm, you know, mm. there's self-care practices mm. that I need to take. And because mm. of all of those things, 
who I woke up as this morning is not who sits before you because yes. I, I did all these things and yeah. some of these things challenged me. Yeah. And, you know, in the physical way, I was lifting very, very heavy things this morning and mm. that made me feel good. Mm. Mm. And then I made some phone calls that were difficult, mm. but that's okay. Mm. But then it's all done. Yeah. And now here we are. We're in a new reality, but it took pushing into that yeah. discomfort. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as lovely as the meadow sounds. Mm. I'll pass yeah. on that. Yeah, the yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh. And I think, you know, if, if we think of ourselves as like, um, you know, it's like every interaction, every human interaction we have buffers some edge off us or polishes a different facet of us or, you know, it, it, it reveals something that we didn't know about ourselves before. So we're these multifaceted, refractive, you know, yeah. entities. So... Every every interaction kind of creates us. True. Mm. Like, what is it about this thing that's difficult? But mm. okay, let's say something mm. difficult shows up. What is it this, about this thing? It's the whole idea of like, is this happening to me or is mm. this happening for me? Mm. It's mm. a blink of an mm. eye, mm. and it changes everything about mm. what's happening. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then, how am I going to become, uh, you know, um, more interesting, more? It's switched on, more interactive, more compassionate, yeah. more empathetic person through this thing yeah, yeah. versus how fucking dare you because mm, mm, how fucking mm, dare you mm. doesn't change you. No, 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 no. You stay, yeah. you stay still. Yeah, yeah. You never move yeah, and you, yeah. then you will yeah. live the rest of your life only ever. Well, the world yeah. changes around you and goes beyond you. It'll mm. just get more scary because it's changing and you don't want it to. Yeah. Um, that's a way deeper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's beyond my pay scale. I no, but it's great. It's, uh, it's it's super. It's 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 mm. it's super super mm. great. You mentioned mm. that you 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 love doing what you do. Mm. That's a mm. pretty lucky thing. Yeah. Talk talk to me about and you you know you mentioned yeah uh, mm. you know how many years you've been on this earth, and I was trying to I was I was actually doing an interview with a couple of very young, very ambitious, mm. very excellent, wonderful mm. human beings yesterday, and they were in the m- maybe twenty two. Mm. Years old, maybe twenty-two years old. The fourteen-hour days don't stop, do they, Catherine? No, no, my God, no. Um, I, I've never worked as hard as I'm working now, and that's why it is so important that you've got to love what you do because, oh my God, you pour everything into it, and you know, as soon as emails came onto our phone, that was it, you know, game over. There is no, what do you call it, work, what, work, work life, life balance. balance. There yeah. is no work life balance. So, yeah, it's, but if you get something back from what you do, if you can feed your brain and if you feel like you're making a contribution in the world and if you just purely love that thing that you do, oh, it's just, yeah, 17-hour days are fine. I would agree with you one hundred percent, and I personally, I believe it is worth finding that thing, even if, even mm. if it isn't going to buy you the boat. <laughs> yeah, no one went into publishing for money. That's for right. sure. Well, no one wanted. <laughs> but free books, as yeah, many yeah. books as you yeah. want. No one wanted. Yeah. No one. Yeah. No, no one's in my business for the cash. <laughs> um, I do it because I love it. I love. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. the team effort. I yeah, love it. I love yeah, it. Love yeah. it. Um, so. Tell me, I, d- I don't know. M- I know about the music industry. I don't mm. know about the physical selling of units. And mm. I know, like, I don't know anything about now that we're in book sales. Now there's actual physical. There's a physical yeah. thing in my hand yes. that I hold, yeah. and the phrase keeps coming into my brain, Catherine. Thoughts become things. Yeah. 
thoughts become yes, things. Here yeah. I am holding it's this. It's an object now. I'm it's holding, an object and it's available to people and yeah, yeah. People send me photos of it <gasps> in New York. Yes. Croatia yeah. in Rarotonga. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a thing yeah. that I was a part of mm, creating. Mm, mm. Um, that's really exciting. Yes, I know, I know. Um, yeah, I just and, – and it does become a question of, like, logistics. Like, we were talking just before we started rolling about you went into a bookshop to sign your books the other day and there were, like, nine copies left when we expected you to be, selling, you know, signing 50 copies because the books are selling. So there is this sense that – you know, it's the book is an object, and we need to keep the feeding the bookstores, and the bookstores need to keep feeding the customers, and this whole remorseless, you know, program keeps running. Yeah. But we have just pressed, pressed the reprint button for another a thousand copies wow. of the book, so it's just like far out. We're what two weeks out of publication? It has literally just hit the market, and already we're reprinting. Is so that a good it's thing? oh my god, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, you should be very happy. Oh, good. Where yeah. is the printing press? Um, it's, I think it's in uh, Victoria, I'm oh. going to say. I would really love Country to visit Victoria. it. I'd love to visit it. They're quite amazing. But the other place you should visit is our warehouse at Mossvale, which is, you know, stretches over two massive warehouses mm. with uh, assembly lines of people picking books. Did you go to the Booktopia warehouse? I did. It was amazing. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. It's yeah. Bigger than that. So wow. it's, yeah, you don't realise all of this business and industry that services, you know, what we see as bookshops. But, yeah, there's this would, massive machinery in the background. Yeah, I, I would, I would, if you push the reprint button again, can you let me know? Oh, yeah. Because I'd, I'd love to go and, you know. Wear a see, hard hat see and how a high-vis vest. Yeah, I want to yeah, go see yeah. how it's done. Yeah, yeah. I'm never going to, you yeah, know, yeah, hopefully yeah. I'll get another yeah, chance, but yeah, it'd be yeah. nice to have that yeah, chance yeah, to go yeah. and yeah. check it out and go mm -hmm. and see what that is. Maybe find the tree, hug the tree, say thanks to the tree <laughs> that we cut down to help <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us, the story. Tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So and tell I'm, me about the principles of storytelling. The principles of storytelling? Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. Oh, uh, of... That um, you learned. Oh, live storytelling? Yeah, live storytelling. Ah. Present tense, yeah. Uh, which, if if I have one regret, is that I I wrote the book in past tense. Yeah, which the, is traditional, and yeah. it's it's easy to read. But when we did the show the other night, Zoe Norton Lodge, yep. who directed it and did an extraordinary job script mm. editing it, mm. she basically scripted the whole thing. Um, she changed it to present tense, mm. and the immediacy of it mm. instantly mm. changed. Mm. Mm. And the the present tense. If, if, there's, if there was one thing I would do differently, it would be write it mm. right in present tense. Mm. Mm. That's really important. But like anything, with any kind of story, it's the first two-thirds of the story is setting the hallway full of mouth traps. The last third of the story is going back and yes. them, making them all click. Yeah. It's like Chekhov saying with a short story, if you introduce a gun in the first few pages, yeah. it's got to go off That by gun the needs end. to be fired by yep. the end of the yep. play. Yep. Yeah, yep. Chekhov's gun. So that's mm -hmm. basically it. You, you find, you, I'll find myself working backwards. But, yeah, mm. all storytelling for me is tension and release. Yes. 
Yeah. That's all we want. Yeah. We want tension to a certain point and then we mm. can't deal with it mm. and then we want release. Mm. But then the release is boring. So we mm. want tension again. Yeah, yeah, so we yeah, bring the yeah. tension back, but it's yeah. oh, too much. Yeah. And then so we release yeah. it again. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's all that's all it is. Mm. It's mm. that's we breathe in, we breathe out. We're mm. hungry, we're mm. fed, we're mm. sleepy, mm. we're we're mm. awake. Mm. Um, and it's the same with storytelling, it's the same with reality television. You mm. want to build that those just those it's like a slow sine wave mm. above and below yeah. the line of mm, what mm, we're comfortable mm, with mm. all right and if you take someone all the way up you've got to take them all the way down yeah, but yeah, don't leave yeah. them in easy space too long because mm. then it can become yeah. too much yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah yeah and that for me you know and particularly and in live storytelling i i have a few things that i like to hit i like to hit alliteration mm. quite well i like a good simile yeah i love a good simile and um, I love a good metaphor. Mm. And uh, I think that if there's one thing that I've been good at, particularly in this book, it's using that I've, it's all those skills that I learned has allowed me to use metaphor to describe otherwise very complicated things going mm. on in your brain around things like psychosis and suicidal ideation. Mm. And I know this because people have told me, because mm. people have said, Oh my goodness, my husband or my wife struggled with this for 20 years and she tried to explain mm, it to me mm, a thousand mm, times. Mm, I never mm, understood mm, it until mm, I read that mm, paragraph. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. And for me, Catherine, that is gold. Well, that's that's why mm. that's why we write it. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's why we write it. Because and, and particularly like what um the, the parts about the suicidal suicidal ideation mm. that was the that's the very core of why I wrote the book mm. because mm. that was the moment I knew I had to go public. Mm. Once it, I knew how it presented to me. I'm like, I have to tell people. Yeah, I have to tell people what this feels like because I had no idea that mm. it showed up like this. Mm. Holy shit! Yeah, this is dangerous stuff. Yeah, we've got to talk about this. Yeah, and yeah, and so basically, you know when I'm the principles of storytelling, like there was that, there was um, Audrey coming into my life. There's basically two or three points in the book that I knew I had to hit. Mm. And it's like, how can I set all those mouse traps to a point so that when I get to there, the most amount of release is going to happen mm. at this point, mm. Mm. basically. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But not, not you know, so like the exact, the amount of energy that I've built with the tension here needs to be released there. Mm. And, well, there's not enough. Okay, I've got to go back and put a bit more. Mm, got to put mm, a bit more. Mm. Or, or there's, now there's, the release is too big. There's, or there's too much tension, not enough release, or too much release, not enough tension. So mm, mm, it's, mm. it's about balancing those yeah, things yeah. and writing, as we mentioned before, writing those things, finding those points in the story that you need to hit. But that goes with anything. That goes with mm. pitching an idea that goes with, trying to convince someone to go on a date with you. You've mm, got to, mm, mm. you know, you've got to have your core message. You've got to, you know, here's why it should yep. happen. And yep. understand that people generally in the Western world, we like things in three acts. Yes. We do. Yes. We yeah. like a hero's yeah. journey. We like yeah. a story arc. Yeah. And we yes. like things to have a, have an ending. Yeah. Are you yeah. listening Australian Beginning, Ninja Warrior? middle and end. Australian yes. Ninja Warrior was such a fucking amazing mm, show mm. and then it didn't have an end. And now I don't care. Yeah. Because it didn't end. The first yeah. season didn't have an ending. I'm yeah. Like, how yeah. dare you yeah. leave me hanging? Needs a triumphant you, ending. Someone yeah. needs to be standing on a platform with their arms in the air. Yeah. I don't care. Holding the golden laurels. Whatever it is. And then I can go to bed. Don't go to an ad break and then suddenly I'm watching, you know, Law and Order or whatever. It's like, ah, yeah. this yeah. is terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so, yeah, we, we like... 
we like mm. resolution mm. Mm. As, as humans. We yeah. like to leave a story and go, okay, yeah. that's done. I understand what happened there. Yeah. 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 It makes us feel oh, safe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's mm. good. Mm. It's good. Anyway, yeah. that's that. The power of story. My word. I love it. You've been nothing but fabulous to speak to today, Catherine. Ah, oh, this has been unexpectedly delightful, actually. <laughs> so I'm I am surprised and Well, you happy. are so very good at your job. Mm. And there's absolutely no way that without you and Shannon, uh, the editor Shannon that, Genius I, that, that I worked with, yeah. there's absolutely no way that I would have done this without you two. I don't know. The story was the story was going to be told. Do you know, I am just so glad and proud and feel privileged to have been a part of it. But you would have told that story, you know. But allowing, you, 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 you helped me do it. Mm -hmm. And it was in, as I said before, it was entrusting the two of you, you mm -hmm. and Shannon, mm -hmm. that, yeah, no, this is, you're on the right track. Just keep going. Yeah, change this, change that. But no, no, mm -hmm. no. That was, there was enormous, enormous growth mm. there. Um, mm. it, was, it was great. Yeah, and, and it, this is just the start, you yeah. know. It's like it's only been two weeks in the market. This yeah. is just the start. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now we've got to figure out how to tour that show. Exactly. <laughs> Take it global. Oh, well, you know? we'll definitely. We'll start national. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll start national. I don't know about the global appeal just yet, yeah. uh, but we'll get there. Um, thank you, Catherine. I'm going to take your photo very quickly. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Thank, thank you. you. That was Catherine Mill, and I cannot thank her enough for being on the show today and for making the time for me. She is a very, very busy human being. Um, if you want to get the book, you can get the book. OshiGensberg.com is where it is. Um, if you want to come and see the show about the book, there's still tickets available December 13 for Melbourne, and tickets for Brisbane will go on sale very shortly, but February 8th is the Brisbane show. All tickets will be available at OshiGensberg.com. All shows meet and greet. Uh, there's books on sale at each show, and it's great to see you when you come along. Mike Milne. Mike Milne. Mike, Mike Mills. Mike Mills will be there. Mike Mills is toe hider. He's the guy that's doing the music that you hear on this podcast. So Mike will be there, and I have to thank him for the music for this show today. Andy Ma, my audio producer, for making um, this show sound extraordinary. Rachel Barrett, my show producer, for not only producing this show but also the live show and my life generally. And I've got to, this week. I've got to thank Audrey for um, you know Audrey this week on emotional support and um, and hugs and and rational responses to my harebrained ideas. Um, my feet are on the ground this week because of my wife. So thank you to her. Um, okay. That's it. That's the show. I hope you had a good time. Um, I love you all very much. Thank you for listening. It was so nice to see so many of you come and say hello to me in Cairns. Uh, that was really great. The school was a little out of the way where we did the talking gig and a bunch of people from who listened to this show made the effort to come and see us. That was really nice. That was really, really nice. Um, we're building something. We're building something here. And it's really nice. People going together. It's awesome. Okay. Take the steps this week. Do it. Take the little steps. Find the things you can control. Go in the direction of where you want to go. Just a little bit at a time. The tiniest amount you can possibly imagine. Just do that and then do it again tomorrow. You'll be surprised how quickly you move. Thanks so much for listening. Until we talk next week, sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.